So, recording in progress. So the name of my talk, the title of my talk is What My Quirky Coffee Pot Taught Me About Patience and What This Might Have to Do with Buddha's Enlightenment. But first, I want to tell you another story. And, as far as I know, it's a true story. And this happened several years ago when I was at Green Gulch Farm for the winter intensive. And some of you may know that during the first two weeks, everyone engages in work practice every afternoon. And I had historically um, always chose to work outside in the field, on the grounds, being outdoors in nature. I mean, what, who would pass that up at Green Gulch Farm? Um, So I chose to pull weeds. I cleared the roads of fallen branches and sticks. I pruned bushes and planted trees. And we even pulled up these killing vines at the roots and then put them in these um, burlap bags and folded them up like burritos. And that's how they killed the weeds so that they wouldn't come back. But this time I volunteered to split wood So many of the living quarters at Green Gulch Farm rely on fireplaces during the winter, so having wood was really, really important. So this was a strenuous activity for me. I had to stack the log on top of a a platform, and then there was sort of like an electric or generated saw that you saw through the wood, and... um, the last time I split wood when I was a Girl Scout in high school. <laughs> so log after log, making a good pile for a fireplace, this was still great. But I was working only with one other person, a young man, probably in his mid to late 30s. And um, compared to me, he was amazing. He was, he was flexible. He was you know, strong, he could work fast, and here was me. I was so slow. And actually, if it had just been me, being slow would have been okay. Um, Even feeling awkward would have been okay. But seeing him work and his abilities, his, his abilities were like a mirror, revealing my sense of shame and my sense of, you know, inadequacy. Um... And so I could tell that any pressure I felt from him, I would have easily said, oh, okay, you can do it. But he was amazing. He just stood there, and there was a quality to the way he waited for me um, that really communicated no impatience at all. I felt a kind of living presence where um, he was okay however I did it, however long it took. Um, And it was important because his impatience wasn't in his energy. He might have been sort of stoic and trying to put on the front of being patient, you know, inside tapping his foot or whatever, and I would have picked that up (laughs) because I was already vulnerable to feeling shame or inadequate. But it really wasn't there in him. Um, sometimes I would look up at him 
And I could tell he had been sort of standing there with soft eyes, but he could feel me looking, and he looked. And we made eye contact, and all I felt was his warmth. So there was like, like this space opened up, a kind of calmness that I could just step into. I could just be myself and chop this wood however I wanted to chop it. So because he was patient with me, I could be patient with myself and feel good about my work. So I learned some important things about patience. One, it's a quality of embodied presence, which brings us fully into the present and opens a space for us to step into and be alive. I found I could be patient with myself, and I actually grew in my ability to saw. I grew as a woodswoman. So a calm emerges when we're with someone else who has no agenda, no need to get somewhere else, no need to change the person before you. So, so this experience was my beginning on the path of deepening my experience and understanding of patience. And I appreciate what Norman Fisher said. Patience is the most important of all the bodhisattva practices because without it, all the others will eventually fail. So tonight, I'm hoping to just ask this question freshly. What is this practice of patience after all? And how do we experience patience in our practice lives? So Kadiguri Roshi, among many other people, offers the metaphor of the mother hen pecking the egg when the chick is ready to hatch. The baby pecks at the shell from the inside while the mother pecks from the outside. This is a delicate dance of birthing. The mother pecks and then waits to hear the chick pecking from within, and then she pecks again. But if the mother pecks too hard or too fast, in other words, if the mother becomes impatient, the shell will break before the chick is ready to hatch, and the chick will die. So this is a delicate kind of patience of the mother. The mother has to pause and listen to be fully present to the urge within, to the chick pecking from within. Um, Because it's only when she's fully present and not pushing anything can she actually listen. Only through this patient listening and waiting will birth happen. So there's a delicate dance to birthing. And Kadagiri says, it's not just your birth but the whole world comes into existence. So our zazen practice is a gift. Our practice of just just sitting, just sitting, is how we care for our lives. And as Jim invited us during Rohatsu to attend within to our deepest self with care and respect and love, this is a kind of patience, letting ourselves rest in the moment knowing that something bigger is always sitting with us. I was reminded of a poem by Rumi, uh, Chickpea to Cook. 
offers a look at impatience and patience. A few of the lines go, a chickpea leaps almost over the rim of the pot where it's being boiled. Why are you doing this to me? The cook knocks him down with the ladle. Don't you try to jump out. You think I'm torturing you. I'm giving you flavor so you can mix with spices and rice and be the lovely vitality of a human being. So, as many of you know, the practice of patience is one of the six paramitas. Paramita is, I think, Sanskrit word for for perfection. And classical Buddhism offers the six paramitas or perfections as ideals of human character that become our guides for our development. And I think everyone here has been drawn to Buddhism because we sense there's a possibility of becoming the kind of person who lives the truth of what it means to be human. Buddhism offers us a practice that cultivates this character development. And just to say the six perfections are generosity, ethics, patience, energetic joy, concentration, and wisdom. We're not going to talk about all of those at the moment, but what's important to understand is that this character development occurs only through a process of transformation. We don't exactly will ourselves to be generous. There are no specific things prescribed to do to be generous. We work with our human tendencies that get in the way of the potential to be generous, to be patient, to be wise. So, for example, we work with our greed, and that transforms into generosity. We work with our delusion, and that transforms into wisdom. So the transformation requires a decentering of self, letting go of the ego that's often in charge, to living at the pivot, where there is no longer a sense that I'm a separate self over here, being generous to you over there. This delusion of separateness mysteriously shifts, and we leap beyond ourselves. So, as Norman Fisher says, This process of transformation can only happen through our cultivation of patience, because without patience, there is no ground, no fertile space to rest in emptiness for this transformation to be born. So I was reading some of the classical writings on practices of patience and words such as endurance, forbearance, tolerance are offered as expressions of the patience we need to face difficult situations in life, a response to suffering that continues over time, especially, and cannot be changed or escaped from. A deep hurt, for example, while continuing in a relationship to that person, an injustice that can't be changed in the situation that you're in. There are so many ways in which we live in difficult circumstances that go on and on. We're in the midst of COVID right now. It feels like it's going on forever. It's a kind of suffering that um, we're being asked to be patient with, to endure, forbear, be tolerant of. A sudden death of a loved one, a chronic illness, physical pain, 
othering, experienced as a minority person, experiences oppression. But these words, endurance, forbearance, and tolerance, have a kind of passive quality to them. Um, like endure, for example, could turn into just grin and bear it, which may include a kind of numbness that can accompany shutting down emotions such as anger or hopelessness. Tolerance can lead to distancing or disengagement. So I think there's more to this paramita of patience than these words capture. So we have to begin with impatience. Being aware and compassionate to our impatience is a practice of patience. And I think of impatience as when we become agitated and reactive because something is going on below our consciousness that's pushing us to fix something because the suffering, both of our own or someone else's, is so great that we have this pressure to fix it. This agitation could even push us to try to skip over the horribleness People often say, I just want to get away from this, thinking that you can. Um, So this brings me to my quirky coffee pot story. Um, For quite a while now, (laughs) I have been tolerating this coffee pot of mine, and it's a really good one. It's a Cuisinart, in fact. But for some reason, whenever I pour my coffee into the cup after it is perked, Inevitably, some of the coffee would spill out on the counter. I could never figure out why. I tried so many different ways of pouring the coffee, and the same thing would happen. And it just kept happening. It was so frustrating, so irritating. I got so impatient. No matter what I did, it would happen. So finally, I adapted, and I decided I would carry my coffee pot to the sink and then fill my cup over the sink. So if it spilled, it would spill into the sink and not on the counter so I wouldn't have to clean it up. Um, This went on for a long time. Well, a couple of weeks ago, my irritation moved to a different level. I'd had it. I started exclaiming to my husband how annoying it is to have this supposedly high-class coffee pot that kept spilling out my coffee. By this time, my hands were swinging around. I said in an angry voice, I want a new coffee pot for Christmas. I felt so justified. But a little later, something happened to bring my awareness to how agitated and impatient I was about this coffee pot. And I could, this awareness brought me to my body. I could let go of my words and my sad story And I began to directly sense this agitation and mobilization that was activated. Wow, I thought, this is a lot of impatience for a little coffee pot. Notice now my coffee pot is, is little, and I calmed down. My attention was brought into the moment fully. I was surprisingly present all of a sudden, and I turned towards my coffee pot full of coffee now, and I said to myself, what would happen if I just connected with this coffee pot and let it tell me how to pour? Maybe this pot doesn't have to spill. Something opened in me. The coffee pot came alive, kind of luminous. My pupils widened. 
and without words, my arm and hand reached out for the pot with this delicate motion, like I was about to lift a crystal goblet. I held the pot delicately and lightly, and I felt respect for this pot. I began to pour more gently and slowly, and the coffee poured perfectly into my cup. I know it sounds crazy, but gratitude rose up in me. There was a kind of beauty I experienced as we created this kind of dance together. I think I listened, like the mother chick, to the motion of the coffee pouring. My hand motions moved as if each moment was full of wonder, no longer in an impatient need to fill the cup. We were fully present together. I felt such joy, this meeting with my coffee pot, and like I was awakened again. Yeah, I know, it's just a coffee pot. But the Dharma says, everything is alive. The world comes to us generously if we let go of self. Rumi says, even in the tiniest drop of water, the whole universe lives. Here was the gift. Be fully present now. Greet who or what is before me from a place of openness, and something new is born. Again, Katagiri says, nobody creates birth. Real birth is produced by the activity of simultaneity. That is, your birth and the birth of the world occur simultaneously. We become Buddha together. The activity of simultaneity, to me, is a gift of patience. This is the activity of awakening. I was so taken by Katagiri's phrasing that I came up with this phrase, the simultaneity of spontaneity. The simultaneity of spontaneity. Something in me leaped out in the coffee pot and met the coffee pot, and I listened to its rhythm, and I responded with a delicacy that didn't end up with me taking the lead, and something happened spontaneously. But I don't want to leave the part of impatience. Mostly, we do practice with our impatience. And it was only when I paid attention to the physicality of my impatience that the possibility of patience arose. But I had to ask myself, Looking back, wow, that was a lot of intensity around a spill of coffee. What is this impatience about? What is the root of my impatience? Well, the first thought that came was, well, maybe this is really about my second surgery and the shock of going back to a wheelchair and not being able to walk again. It's true. I was irritable, impatient about this. Yet the miracle of this coffee pot experience was that in that moment of awakening to the dance of the art of pouring, I totally forgot about my ankle. In fact, whether I was able to walk again or not suddenly didn't even matter because I became awake. This wonderful gift of the Dharma is worth everything. And whatever our current suffering is, it doesn't stop our capacity to awake. But I stayed with this question, what is the root of my impatience? 
and fear came to me. At first I said, I'm afraid if I can't walk again, maybe I won't be able to walk in the Buddha way. A little later, I'm afraid I'm still not good enough. And then, I'm afraid I will be utterly abandoned by all beings and left alone to die. Like, wow. A lot of fear. And then another gift emerged. I'm afraid of truly letting go into emptiness. Ah, fear right now is the root of my impatience. I need to be connected to and patient with my fear. And I know there's more roots. <laughs> this is just one. Um, but I'm learning that the inquiry into the roots of our impatience, the awareness of the physicality that's sort of hiding what's deep down underneath, is worthy of introspection. But maybe as you're thinking about all of this, you're asking the question, but what about when the suffering is intolerable, unbearable, when it's so painful, either your own or the pain that someone else is going through. Maybe your loved one is in chronic pain and feels no relief. Maybe you're stuck in a flashback from early childhood trauma you can't escape from. Maybe being in the military in a war zone and you receive orders to kill someone. Raising a family, knowing that your children's lives will be affected by systemic racism. This emotional pain feels like it goes beyond impatience and patience. Yet, maybe our practice still offers us an opening. To me, these are times in which we need help, some relief from the suffering beyond our capacity. So the Dharma teaches us to take refuge, to let go and open or fall into the hands of the Buddha, And this becomes the gift of patience we can give ourselves because we let go into the compassionate hands of the Buddha. We let go and enter the merciful ocean of Buddha's way. We let go of our need to know an answer, our need to strive and stay in control to figure something out. This larger field of truth is always present and active. This letting go giving ourselves over. This is a leap of faith into the merciful ocean of Buddha activity. Mielus says, let go into the treasury of the light. In these moments when we really need help, we need to find our own mantra. Lately, when something feels too painful, I say to myself, rest in emptiness. Rest in emptiness. And lately, recently, when I was practicing this way, I didn't quite truly believe it, that resting in emptiness would relieve suffering, would bring that patience in to just be present. 
And last week I was stuck in worrying about something about my daughter and I was down and preoccupied. I was in the grip of fear and I chanted this mantra and just for a moment there was a release. I chanted it again and there was another little release. But I still didn't believe it would make a difference. But later I was driving in my car and I noticed this subtle energy shift in my body. Something released and shifted. The grip wasn't so tight. And by releasing the grip, I suddenly became fully present in the moment. Because remember, fear takes us into the future. Worst case scenario. And we suffer because we're not here now. So um, this was, became really interesting to me because it was just a moment but we have to remember that a moment of, of taking refuge, that moment is also the eternal moment. It's, it's being time, it's not clock time. So a moment is also an eternal moment. So even that moment, those two chants started the Dharma wheel to turn. We can also take refuge in Sangha in these moments of unbearable suffering. And we can turn to each other for help. Um, and in these moments, I think that our utter humanness needs to have space. We need to just let out a wail. We need to rail at God. We need to f- make a fist. We need to lament. It's okay because we're being present to each other in these moments. Even follow your body impulses. I I recently read um, a memoir um, written by a Korean-American talking about her wrestling with the racism that the um, Asian immigrant women experience. And it was, it just cracked me open and I was just, just distraught. But my body said, go into the fetal position as if you're in a cocoon. And that's what I did. I went and I, I curled up and I sat there and took refuge in this body position. And in a few moments, I just rose up. I was relieved. I was present again in my life, having somehow integrated another level of suffering in the world. So taking refuge in Sangha is another um, patient's response to unbearable suffering. And then finally, I began to wonder, well, when social injustice leads to despair, where's patience? Because if I can say that I often feel impatient about what's happening in our society and the polarization and the, and the violence every day, that the energy in this impatience actually sort of moves me into action. But lately, I felt more like despair or helplessness. And I wonder, what can I do? 
But here, patience arises when we recognize this delusion, (laughs) the delusion of separateness. Because actually, what can I do is not the question. It is, what can we do together? How can we work together to create a world free of suffering and violence? Reb Anderson says, all good things are done together with all sentient beings. Good cannot be done by any one person. Although you row the boat, although you row, the boat gives you a ride. This is a realm of mutual creation. When you make a bag lunch and give it to someone who is hungry or takes a present to someone who is sick, if you think you are doing this by yourself, you're missing the point. You can't ride in a boat by yourself. You need the boat. The boat gives you a ride. And just sort of notice if you're in a boat and you're rowing, in between the strokes, the boat continues to move. The boat carries us further beyond our little self-strivings. So patience here arises when we let go of our grip on the sense that I have to do it alone and turn towards the whole, all of us working together in community. So in, in conclusion, we ask the question, what has patience have to do with Buddha's awakening? He sat under the Bodhi tree for eight days with a vow, I will see through all delusion and fully awaken. If the Buddha had been impatient for awakening, even though he sat under the Bodhi tree for eight days, the shell of delusion would not have cracked open. He vowed to sit until the truth of human existence was clarified and he found the antidote for suffering. Patience arose in response to his vow. Because remember, these eight days for the Buddha was not easy. Mara threatened him with all kinds of demons. Um, Our path isn't easy. We're no different. And even at the very end, as we read in the echo yesterday, Mara feared your vow. I'm sorry. (laughs) Mara says, you are not worthy. You don't have the right stuff, Buddha. You're too old, too young, too weak, too distracted. You can't really sit there facing yourself, facing the truth. We ask ourselves these same questions, but the Buddha felt no doubt, and he turned to Mother Earth to stake his claim. Enlightenment is possible for all beings, you and me. So awakening arises from this ground of patience when we rest in the open space and listen and allow the wisdom body to speak. May we all continue to awaken together. Thanks for listening.
Jim. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> I was thinking of your, you know, what occurred to me when you're talking about the, the coffee pot was that, that uh, aphorism that the definition of insanity is keeping doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and I was thinking about, you know, you're pouring the coffee and every time it's spilling yeah. and every time it's spilling. And, um, it, but, but, you know, I, I saw that uh, finally you thought, there must be another way. Yeah. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I felt in a lot of your stories, a kind of, you know, it's like in one of those video games where the character comes up to a wall and he keeps just, just hitting the wall, you know, I don't play video games, but <laughs> I've, I've, you know, they, they, cause he's doesn't, I don't know, he gets stuck and he just keeps hitting the wall, mm -hmm. but then, you know, something shifts at, eventually it has to, it has to, and and I heard a number of times for you where you're, you know, it seemed like you're hitting the wall, and then it, you thought there must be another way. Mm -hmm. Well, yes, I, I guess it wasn't a thought exactly, but mm -hmm. it was more a, an opening, like right. something open because the the impatience wasn't just a verbal story anymore; it was something that my body had been holding, and that letting go then opened up, you know, sort of to the totality of what's possible, what could arise, what is ha happening. It isn't in that stuck groove anymore like you're talking about. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I appreciate that you being a person who looks for an opening. Uh -huh. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Any other thoughts or experiences of yours with patience and impatience? Um, it's a beautiful talk. Thank you for sharing that. Um, I'd be curious what you think the relationship, relationship between um, surrender and patience is. For, you know, patience is never really, uh, I guess the word is never really resonated with me, but surrender does, you know, like mm. surrendering to what's happening, that that resonates with me more. And I'm mm -hmm. curious if you really kind of just see them as synonyms, just different ways of looking at the same process, or if mm. they're different. Let's say a little more what surrender means to you. Uh. Um, I guess, you know, I guess it's more just a a stance of um, I don't want to say accepting, it's such a cliche word, but it's almost more of a, how do I articulate this? Um, yeah, like I mean, a, I don't a, want to a put A lack you on... of nervousness, maybe. You uh, know, it's just uh -huh. like, yeah. in a way, it's like, this is okay, but not as a thought, you know, it's more yes. as a perceptual stance, yes. you know? Yes, yes. You know, and it's, I don't think it's something you can tell yourself like, oh, I'm going to surrender or, oh, I'm going to be patient. You know, it's just, you know, I think either a shift happens or it doesn't, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, so you're sort of saying similarly to what I was saying that in that act of surrender, there's a bodily shift to, um, you know, much more calm and quiet inside and uh, kind of okayness in the moment. Um, 
To me, that's a kind of, that sort of is the gift of patience that comes, um, if that makes any sense. Yes, thank you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, Dave's got a question on Zoom. Oh, hey, Dave. And Brett. You're, uh, you're muted, Dave. Oops, we can't hear you. Looks like your mute button is still on, they're saying. There. Okay, okay. Well, I, I pressed it and it said that the host was not allowing participants to unmute. Um, oh. and I, was getting, I was getting kind of impatient with that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I, I just watched. I love the talk. Uh, I woke up. It's very timely. I woke up this morning with an understanding that I need to be much more patient with some issues going on in my life right now, hmm. and, uh, and and being generous with my patients. Uh, oh. And I can patience isn't my best quality. Uh. Of the six paramitas, it's, it's probably the one I have to work on most after wisdom. Um, but and uh, so I, I just found it really timely. Hmm. The also I have a uh, Cuisinart coffee pot I've had for about we've had here for about <laughs> sixteen years, and uh, a few weeks ago, my wife became impatient. Because she said every time I poured coffee, I was leaving dribbles on the counter. No, it's not me. <laughs> and so, so I, so I take it, and so she would put a paper towel down, and I don't like to waste paper, so I, <laughs> so I started pouring it over the sink. <laughs> so I um, tomorrow, um, I want to see what I can do. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 and once again I, I, I did just I, I truly love the talk thank you thank you Dave and I'm so glad it just sort of came to you as you woke up I need to be generous with patience with myself yeah. and others <laughs> yeah and others yeah right right yeah well thank you thank you Brett Hi. Hi, Dorothy. Welcome back. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. And thank you for your talk. I, I also agree with Dave. This has some timely um, relevance for me as well. Um, I, I had some um, pretty, pretty powerful insights around uh, my biggest uh, place of, of losing my patience in my life, uh, which is with my eight year old oh, son. Yeah. Um, who's a very strong-willed child, mm. um, but during during uh, Rohatsu, mm. I had some 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 pretty emotional um, insights 
around my relationship to him and my patience or my lack thereof wow. uh, with him. And I, um, this reflecting on your, your comment about, you know, examining our impatience. Right. And I too found that underneath my impatience was fear. <laughs> and for me, it was this fear of, you know, that, um, you know, if, if I'm not, on my son to, you know, get his act together that mm. he's going to grow up into this monster. Yeah. And, yeah. but, but that's not what I'm afraid of. I'm afraid of that. That makes me look like a bad parent. Oh, right? yeah. mm -hmm. And, um, but my, and my realization was, you know, so like my worry was that if I'm too, if I try to take it too easy or if I'm, if I'm too, give him too much space, mm um right that 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 could lead to me looking like a bad parent mm -hmm. later on right uh -huh. um, but my my insight was that if i just if i approach him and my parenting to him with love with mm -hmm. whatever form that takes mm -hmm. it, it just can't be wrong wow. right mm -hmm. it just can't even if it doesn't look like it's the most straightforward uh path to his maturity as a person mm -hmm. if it if if it if it takes a longer time or or whatever but mm -hmm. if it's coming out of love i have i just trust that that's the mm -hmm. right way to do it mm -hmm. um and then the my my second thought was just um uh, since i've been back now um you know was, had some space from him for those days while i was gone and back mm -hmm. and and doing a lot of zazen <laughs> during yeah. that time yeah. um i've just noticed how um there's just more space and mm -hmm. and you know i'm noticing less reactivity mm -hmm. um just with him mm -hmm. um and and so my my comment is you know i think that there's built into this wonderful practice that we do of zazen there is i, I my experience is that there's um the cultivation of of this patience in there that mm -hmm. like this spending spending more time you know being deeper uh deeper within myself and sort of i'm like seeing the image of like a storm going around but in zazen sinking deeper deeper towards the center mm -hmm. like the eye of the storm where it's calm mm -hmm. um somehow that's that makes patience easier it's yeah. like the chaos can go, but in the eye of the storm, it's calm. Mm -hmm. uh, wow. Thanks. It's incredibly uh, deep insights that you were, were given during your Rahatsu time. And, well, it was a lot of sitting. <laughs> and, yeah, but to go, for, I mean, this is kind of the transformation that I was talking about from recognizing the fear and really inquiring into what that fear is all about. It, it really transformed into love. And, and finding that love is really what's underneath everything that you could give your son. And uh, that then also brought calm, too, and a way to be present. Yeah. Yeah, love, the love can be trusted. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Thank Thanks. you. Thank you, Doralee. I enjoyed your talk. Thank you. And patience is one of those one of those areas, isn't it? That yeah. uh, well, I don't know about other people, but with me, it's uh, 
been uh, I wouldn't say a struggle, but it's uh, mm. I think Dave put it right in it. What did he say? I'm not a patient person, <laughs> so that would that would that would go for me as well. Uh-huh. So what you talk about uh, the embodiment of it? Yeah, I think um, you know I wouldn't say I have necessarily the underlying insight as to why of the um, the impatience. Mm-hmm. Maybe in time I will, but I definitely notice just in the movement. Mm-hmm. For instance. You're in a supermarket, and there's somebody, there's always somebody in front of me moving at a slower pace yeah. than I want to move at. Yeah. So this is, I don't, I don't think it's fear. It's, it's, it's in the body. Yeah. And um, Jim had some great uh, comments. I think it was maybe our Thursday morning sitting about when you get up from Zazen slowly um. and Maybe I reminded him to uh, make that comment. I don't know. But uh, I watched the video of the Jukai. And so this was an opportunity to see yourself. You could see, see, I could see myself. Whereas without that image, you're just, and I noticed that there's the three of us and we all would have, would bow in uniformity. And I was down and up like every single time before Kenny and, and, and you know, it's so I just seem to move. So it, yeah. it's the body part of it. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. That seems so rich for you, Larry, really, to become much more aware of how the impatience is lived out in, in your body movements. Yeah. And, and maybe your body has more to tell you about all of that. Uh, it might. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But it sounds like you're really interested in it now. And oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, that's the difference for me too. And I think a lot of the um, the anti-racism work that's being done talks a lot about how we need to shift into our actual body sensations and movement uh, to learn what's there, because even the trauma. Literature says that that those meanings are held in the limbic system, so we can't really think our way through to what's what's behind all of it. So we have to stay and let the body open up more, um, and then it means letting go of words too for a while. So it's 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 interesting. Uh-huh. Yeah, Sarah. Thank you so much, Doralee. Uh, when you were talking about the sort of the fear and the despair too that comes around um, working with uh, racism and social justice and then trying to work with it yourself, I had a, an experience this week um, at the farmer's market, and I just need to back up a little bit around it. This one... Um, Farmer, there's actually two men there. Um, when uh, COVID first started, they weren't wearing masks and everybody else was. And then when they were told that they couldn't come to the market without masks, they just had these little thin handkerchiefs over their face, like in, in just total defiance. And I found myself being angry at them. You know, it's like, you, you're. 
And then as the, as the time went on, they started wearing masks. And, and I just, I was really trying to work with that. And I, I was conflicted because I really liked their apples. <laughs> and I wanted to go to their stand and, and buy their apples. But, you know, I'm thinking, do I really want to get that close to them? And, and then around Halloween, um, one of the, of the farmers had brought his little, um, this child couldn't have been any more than three, I think, in his green giant costume with the thing. And he's just so darling. It's like, I, I just, you know, this, so I'm, I'm seeing these people not as, you know, but this is a loving father who's, you know, with his child. And, and, and I, I went to buy apples, uh, um, Sunday is the uh, before the last day of the rahatsu, and uh, when I um, put my apples on the thing for uh, to be, pay them, you know, he said, "Well, it's um, you know, it's uh, three set three eighty or something," and I and I gave him four dollars. He says, "I don't need any change," and he says, "Oh, thank you. Have a blessed day." Okay. And I just felt this incredible feeling of connection yeah. as he said that i mean that's not my tradition at all but there was an incredible connection he was wishing me a, a blessed day yeah. and i was receiving his gift uh, of this fruit that yeah. he had grown yeah. and i that it has been very helpful and I, I hope i can keep that insight around you know the work as i delve more into into anti-racism and also even just the catastrophe that our country is undergoing mm. you know that i don't despair mm. and that i keep trying to work mm. on that a loving as you said relationship mm -hmm. because that's the only way we heal mm. mm -hmm. uh, and, and the only way we can face the, you know the catastrophe that mm -hmm. that is in our society and our world and mm. our country and and in our families sometimes, mm -hmm. you know, but it was just a beautiful experience yes. uh, on the last day of Rahatsu. Yes, how beautiful, and especially yeah. because you stayed engaged, even if you had all these reactions inside, you worked with them and you stayed engaged. And Because he has good apples. Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> hmm? No, no, no. <laughs> huh? Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Anyone else want to say something? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just kind of interesting all that what you're describing because I'm beginning to think that patience isn't like something that lives in us. <laughs> patience arises in these kind of moments that you're describing, and it's that arising that then you know, sort of gives that capacity, you know, to transform from what start, started out as judgment and all of that into, you know, real care for the, this people and connection. And so, so it's in the activity, like uh, Kadiguri was saying, in the simultaneity of the engagement. Uh, so, anyway, thank you, everybody.